Welcome, everybody, to the Resilient Podcast. My name is Neil Tan. We've got a fantastic guest, Jean Yu, who is the founder and CEO of Black Panda Cybersecurity. Welcome, Jean, to the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Neil. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I know you're in town from Singapore, so really appreciate you coming in and uh, for the show and just kind of sharing your story. So absolutely, it's an honor to be here, and yeah, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, let's kick it off with like a quick introduction. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. sure. Okay. Uh, yeah, so my name is Jean Yu. I'm the uh, the founder and CEO of Black Panda Group. Uh, I'm uh, my background is I'm American and Taiwanese, uh, born and raised in the States. I'm a West Point graduate, uh, computer science undergrad. Graduated when 9-11 happened, so my whole world turned around upside right, down, right, right, right when that happened. Uh, ended up uh, ascending into American Special Forces wow, uh, and okay. uh, deployed on four combat tours to, uh, to Iraq and uh, the Southern Philippines, running around a bit with my hair on fire, <laughs> killing dragons <laughs> and bad guys, I guess, right, so to speak. Right. Um, and that plays, in a, uh, plays into uh, Black Panda uh, because I was a counter-terrorist uh, team leader when I was in Special Forces, so my specialty was essentially crisis response. Wow. Um, and... Uh, after I got out in 2009, um, I was uh, uh, worked at Credit Suisse uh, here in Hong Kong. Uh, CS, so, yeah, okay, right. So I spent about five Where years. Where were you in CS? You were uh, I was in the prime uh, prime, prime brokerage. Prime broker, brokerage. Yeah, I was yeah. in the equity swaps desk. Got it. Um, so um, I was recruited in by my current uh, chairman and co-founder uh, Matthew Pecco, mm. uh, who was at the time uh, head of prime services at Credit Suisse. So oh, okay. uh, Matt was also a Green Beret that commanded the same uh, counterterrorist team out of Okinawa. Uh, just about 20 years before me. Right? Wow! So that's wow. how so some serious history. Yeah. So that's how <laughs> that's how I got pulled into finance, even though I had right. no finance background. Right. 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 And um, and uh, uh, spent uh, a little over uh, a year at Credit Suisse. Uh, finance didn't really take from me. Okay. okay. <laughs> Why? <laughs> you were just like, do yeah. this. <laughs> it, was, it was such a it was such a massive state break right. from yeah. running around as a as a uh, as a team leader and ground force commander. Right. Sitting in front of a desk, you know, basically almost twelve hours straight a day. Mm. And, and, and anyway, that's a that's a longer story. But, so uh, yeah. um, I had an opportunity while I was uh, uh, going through uh, summer summer associate training. They, they had, I'd already started here in Hong Kong, but I got an opportunity to go back to New York. And I was back there, uh, I met uh, a couple folk uh, at the early days of Palantir Technologies wow. at the New York office. Right. Went in, they really loved uh, my background, my, you know, I'm, I'm technical, right, I'm a computer science guy, and uh, got recruited in at a time when, uh, um, I'm proud to say this, it's kind of insane to say this, but uh, over 99% of the applicants at Palantir at the time were rejected, right? Wow. And right, uh, right. so I just kind of almost on a whim, you know, kind of applied after I met some people there yeah. and uh, got taken in. And then so let, let uh, CS know I uh, wasn't coming back. Right, right, right. right. Uh, so I was one of the early guys at Palantir. Maybe, maybe uh, uh, tell tell the folks what plan, uh, Palantir is, or I mean, sure. it's, yeah, some people don't know. Yeah, sure, answer. no problem. Yeah. Um, so Palantir Technologies, uh, I would describe it still as a big data company, right? Mm. It was one of the first ones. Uh, Palantir is actually uh, an object from the Lord of the Rings right. uh, um, uh, book series, whereas uh, if you remember uh, Saruman, the White Wizard, yes. right? He's got That's this right. like. Uh, He's got this like orb that he looks through and sees right. anything in the world. That's, That's right. called the Palantir. Right? Uh, right. I thought it was a very, I, I thought it was a very clever name, right? Yeah. And basically, Palantir's technology, uh, it's uh, uh, allows uh, the the uh, the users basically to, to to use the platform and look at big data to mm. find what it is that they want to right. uh, want to know, right? Right. essentially, right? right? From a very simplistic standpoint. So, um, and uh, uh, I was very attracted to the mission, which was to solve the world's most difficult problems. Mm. It was just a really cool clear concise and I, I was very attracted to that and 
So I uh, so had a chance to see what a fast-moving Silicon Valley startup wow. was like at the time and helped build out their Asia office out of Singapore. So, um, and then uh, uh, fast forward, you know, a couple of years and, and uh, in 2015, Matt uh, uh, called me up and said he wanted to start a company called Black Panda, uh, right. put, down, okay. put down the initial seed capital and asked me to come and run it. Wow. And as I've been doing it for uh, for the last eight years, right, going through right. this founder CEO journey. Yes. Uh, Black Panda is a cybersecurity company with two uh, elements. One is that we're a uh, cybersecurity emergency response company, and uh, we're the right. largest in uh, Asia currently. Right. And uh, we're also a Lloyd's of London cybersecurity insurance underwriter. Uh, we can underwrite insurance uh, out of Hong Kong and Singapore, uh, up to five million US dollars of coverage. Uh, companies up to two hundred fifty million in revenue. Right. Uh, we've underwritten about seventy-five million US dollars in the market uh, to date. So these two arms of the company are what I believe um, are necessary for uh, companies to be resilient uh, mm, after a cyber attack. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so you right. know we consider ourselves like digital firefighters. Sure. We come and put out the fire, and uh, the insurance comes and uh, helps pay for the damages that occurred. Uh, in between the time the fire broke out and we showed up, essentially, mm. right? And uh, from a very simple, uh, simple uh, kind of point of view, uh, I think that's what companies need, basically, to get back on their feet. And right. so um, that's what we're about at Black Panda is essentially cr digital crisis response, right? right. Uh, harking back to my background in, in American Special Forces, et cetera, uh, was a tie-in for me. So um, we're all about getting companies back on their feet after the cyber attack. Right. Our philosophy is, is not a matter of if, but when. And right. so just how fast can you back, get back on your feet? Right. right. So it's not so much, you're you're not so much the prevention, but you're the cure post. Right? Correct, correct. Right. We're everything afterwards. And it, it actually makes, um, it makes a, for, for us, a, I believe, a cleaner uh, go-to-market strategy as well, because essentially we can partner with everybody else out there who is who is essentially in the prevention space, right? right, right, right. Um, we like to joke around and say that uh, all the cybersecurity providers um, or IT service providers are like the uh, the car manufacturer or mm. the car itself. Uh, we're just the airbag, right? It's a matter if you're a Volvo or Toyota or whatever solution yeah, yeah, you have, yeah. uh, you still need airbag, right? right. So we're that airbag that uh, we just want to insert in every single car. Right, um, right, very cool. Mm. And so, you know, uh, kind of walk us through some of the potential use cases that you guys have, or, or maybe some of the examples of uh, actual cases that you've yeah, gone through. Sure, absolutely. So the most common uh, type of cyber attack we see here in Asia is called ransomware. Ransomware. Um, okay. One of the aspects of cybersecurity uh, to to maybe start it from a fundamental level is that everything in the physical uh, safety and security world has a cybersecurity equivalent, mm -hmm. right? It's you, literally if you just take everything in the physical world and put the word cyber in front of it yeah. exists in the cybersecurity world. Right. It's just called something different, right? Because uh, the IT industry uh, came up with a name for it first. Okay, sure. and a lot of times <laughs> some of these folk aren't so acquainted with the physical world sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, so as a, as a person that considers, I consider myself a classically trained military tactician and strategist, mm. um, it's easy for me to see with a technical background that the parallels exist between the two worlds, right? Mm. In fact, one of the underlying philosophies at Black Pen is that cybersecurity is not an IT problem, right. just an IT problem. It's a security problem, right? right? It's not a computer that's hacking you. Right. It's a person. It's a yeah. thinking adversary yeah. who likely has buddies or orga organizations that have different desired end states and thus different courses of action need to be uh, put together for the proper defense, right? Right, right. So I talk about that from just an underlying principle because when uh, I talk about the most common attack we see, which is called ransomware mm. um, by, the, by the industry, really what that means, and this one's a little bit easier to understand because they use the word ransom, at least in it. Okay? Mm. Right, right. <laughs> right. It's, uh, it's, it's self-explanatory. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, almost. To an extent. Right, to an extent, yeah. right. 
it's the equivalent of um, a, a, a criminal attempting to kidnap your company, mm. right? The same type of criminal who's okay with kidnapping one of your family members and extorting right. you for money is completely okay to kidnap your company and extort you for money. Right, right. It's the same yeah. mindset, the exactly. same workflow, and the same, you know, the same, the same type of person. Right. And so um, at Black Panda, uh, uh, how we approach dealing with ransomware is exactly... We modeled it after our experiences um, in uh, in our community in my previous community with kidnap and ransom, right? Mm. And how you deal with the negotiation, how you go through proof of life exercises. I'm happy to talk to you in more detail in a second. Um, but ransomware is by by far and away the most common attack that we mm. see. Um, essentially, the attacker comes in and uh, encrypts uh, everything inside the network so that the company can no longer access their files, data, uh, can't contact their clients, et cetera, et cetera. Just frankly, just can't operate. And uh, you receive a uh, a uh, anonymous uh, email or or, uh, or or some some form of medium uh, extorting you and asking you for you know million two million dollars in uh, Bitcoin right or wow. you'll never see okay. your company again right um, and then so so in there lies the extortion and and mm -hmm. uh, the payments so uh, I think ransomware if I put my criminal hat on is uh, probably the best business model right because they're business people sure. too right yeah, yeah. and uh, in fact um, cybersecurity loss. In uh, 2023, is set to eclipse over 2.5 trillion dollars of losses, right? And uh, it's bigger than the global drug trade, right? right. The global narco narcotics right. trade. And uh, conversely, just while I'm on that too, is that the the good guys, right? The cybersecurity industry is only 250 billion in size. So you can see who's kind of winning <laughs> <laughs> in terms of from, a, from a commercial yeah, standpoint, yeah, right? right, right. Um, but uh, ransomware, from uh, to me, is probably one of the fastest. Uh, fastest ways to, uh, uh, in terms of a sales cycle, sure. right? Because it's, right. it's a quick way to get paid, right? Yes. Um, because a lot of people will pay quick, you know, in that scenario because right. they can't withstand the business interruption loss, right? Uh, you're right. a business, right? So from from that perspective, it's quite a um, quite a commercially viable uh, uh, criminal uh, type of attack uh, from digital, mm. uh, in the digital space. Right. The second type of most common attack we see is called business email compromise, or sometimes it's called, it's called funds, uh, funds, Funds transfer fraud. Okay. Uh, so what occurs here is that the uh, the cyber attackers and criminals uh, will infiltrate into the uh, the network and then compromise the email system so that they can take over uh, email, for example, right? Right. And um, and uh, when they're inside your systems, they'll start uh, monitoring how uh, money is moved uh, from point A to point B inside mm. your company. Right. And then uh, and then basically uh, uh, use your account. It's not spoofing. Sometimes people get this confused, like spoofing. Is when you receive like an email, <clears throat> and it's like, you know, Uncle George or whatever. Uh, like for example, like Neil Neil Tan at uh, uh, Tsunami right, right. Advisors, yeah, right? Yeah. But it'll just like change the Neil that your I to like the numeral one, right? Right. So right, it'll right. look like uh, it's your email address, but it's yeah. clearly not, right? Because right, it's different. Right, it's an actual right. different character. Yeah. Um, in business, business email compromise, they're actually using your email account. Okay. Oh wow. So so this is this is one of the. Funny things right. is when I talk about this, and I like talking about this one particularly on podcasts and speaking engagements, because yes. a lot of the audience are like, hey, that happened to me. Yes. But then it went away. Yeah. It didn't go away. They still control your email, right? Oh, they do. Right? You need to right. have uh, somebody like us come in and yes. conduct a forensic sweep and kick them out, right? Because they, right. they have control over your email domain, right? Wow. Uh, they, may just may, they may just be laying in wait, right? Um, and coming back at a later time, or just seeing, uh, you know, how they can how can they can extort you mm. or, or fraud you later, right? Right. Um, so uh, it, it's kind of the equivalent of like you're not okay that uh, somebody is just hanging out inside your house, even though they haven't stolen anything yet. <laughs> yeah, you probably yeah, want to yeah. get them out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so, uh, so business email com compromise is the second most common attack. Uh, they'll come in, lay in wait. 
control your emails, see how money's moved, and right. then, for example, we've seen uh, when the uh, the orders go out across email to approve uh, some transaction, they'll just uh, intercept or or send out the email on your behalf, instructing, say, your CFO or financial controller to remit to a bank account, but it's theirs. Oh, right. right. And uh, we've actually seen uh, even uh, some well-publicized cases of... Um, uh, hedge funds, uh, for example, go out of business actually from LPs because pulling money out because so much money was lost to fund transfer wow. fraud and things like that. Right. right. So, so that one, that one is uh, pretty, uh, pretty debilitating from a financial damage aspect, of course, as well. It's just essentially as, as close as it gets to direct, direct theft of your money. Right. And right. so, um, those are the two most common attacks we see. Right. Um, and uh, probably the most effective for cyber criminals to make money as fast as possible, right? Right, which, is, right. which is their business, right? Just like us, we want recurring revenue and as fast as possible, right? So, <laughs> Kidnap yeah. any, as many computers as you can. <laughs> That's right, pretty much. As fast as you can, as wide as you the can. The more the and better. Yeah. So, um, so the Russia-Ukraine uh, conflict actually exposed uh, something uh, uh, that we suspected in the cybersecurity community for quite a while, which is that uh, there was a, a very famous uh, ransomware gang uh, called Lockbit. Okay, and so they're, they're out of Ukraine, or they're out of. And it, it was uh, predominantly out of uh, Russia, Russia. And, and Eastern Europe. Right? Okay, and um, uh, they have a large What's body. It called of, it's called Lockbit. Lockbit. Okay. Yeah, okay. Lockbit. Yeah, and uh, they're actually a, a product company as well as a services company. Right? Okay. okay, so like you can, think of, them, you can think of them. You can think of them as a as a criminal organized organized crime, right? Sure, sure. So you think of them as a um, a product organization, a services organization. So they actually create their own. Uh, high-quality uh, ransomware mm. malware variants, right? So we're currently on version 3.0. Okay. Okay. Right. Right. And um, and then they also, uh, of course, uh, provide the service of the actual cyber attack, or uh, they can you can go into the dark web and purchase their product through a ransomware as a service um, as well, right? Because right. productize, right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, SaaS works so, pretty well in, yeah. the, in the in the good guys yeah. world, right? Why not in the criminal world yeah. as well, so right? they're doing like white label ransomware. Correct, correct, <laughs> right? SaaS, SaaS multiples, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, for, yeah. For revenue generation, et cetera. So, um, wow. uh, so uh, what happened uh, with the, when the Russia-Ukraine conflict broke out was that Lockbit uh, had uh, internal uh, discord, right? Because the Ukrainians and Russians were at adverse, adverse uh, with each other. So the Ukrainians doxed um, uh, uh, Lockbit's uh, internal organization. Doxing is when you spray uh, data into the open in, into uh, the open internet. So they, they sprayed into the dark web, okay, right. which, is, which is open. Right? Basically, disclosed all the Lockbit, I guess, Russians. Yes. To everyone. Right? Yes. Yeah, right, and right. and show the entire organization chart. And oh it gets, my it's god! It's like there's there's basically a CEO, there's a chief revenue officer, there's sales, there's marketing, it's, it's customer success. Really? It's oh my organized. goodness. Right, because these are intelligent people. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes people make this uh, uh, assumption, right, which is not valid, right, yes. uh, that uh, they're unintelligent, disorganized, like they're just mm. like running around like Al Qaeda cells or something right, like that. Right, That's right. not true at all. These are very intelligent people who are very technical. Yes, have decided that it's worth the risk, okay, uh, to uh, to be outlaws essentially, right, right. Um, and uh, conduct a business uh, that uh, is, is highly profitable, very yeah. good recurring revenue generation, and um, and largely very difficult to stop, right? right. Um, so, in fact, uh, I would make the argument that I don't think a dedicated high-level cyber attacker can be stopped, which mm -hmm. is why, again, we have the philosophy as a company just to be on the post bridge. We leave that very difficult problem uh, to right. the rest of the industry to solve, right? right? right. And we just stand back and just assume uh, that you will be breached at some point, and so we're here to help you get back on your feet as fast right, as possible right. and help patch up the down, you know, patch up the uh, the gaps, right? right. So, um, so I bring all of that up just in terms of context of uh, of how, what these organizations and criminals look like, and just understanding first and foremost that is not 
you know, this perception of this, like, you know, pimple-faced teenager in mom's basement, you know, that is attacking you, right? There are actually people probably look like you and me that went to good schools, right? Had proper, you know, proper education, you know, all this type of stuff, business education. And they're making a lot of money doing this, right? Right, right. Right? And uh, and then in your space, being paid in crypto, right? You know, and and, and in fact, you know, some of the audience may, you know, uh, they may be your customers, right? Wow. Right, Right, so yeah, yeah, bank account, you know, account holders holding wallets with you all and all that type of stuff, right? So Yeah, pretty well. So tell us a little bit about uh, how how you deal with a ransomware type case. Mm. You know what's what's sort of like the workflow and all those yeah. different things. Yeah, know? absolutely. So um, so first and foremost, again, uh, uh, we think about ransomware as uh, kidnapping your company, right? And yep. so the first thing that needs to happen is uh, is engagement and negotiation to buy time. Okay, mm. so I always say. Uh, both in physical and uh, digital space, uh, the first action and response to threat is to increase security, right? Right. Because you can't negotiate when somebody has a a gun pointing to your head and has all the control. We have to even the playing field for there even to be a negotiation, right? Right. Right. So, and we need to buy time. So usually, I would say over uh, over the hundreds of cases that Black Pan has handled in the last several years, the I would say that uh, well over ninety uh, percent uh, have almost no cybersecurity in place at all. Zero, almost zero. Wow. It's essentially the equivalent of almost zero, right? right. And with all sorts of uh, physical knowledge, doors and windows wide open, yeah. right? So right. there's not a lot, you know. And that's why cyber attacking is so easy, is because general security awareness and practice is is at a very low level, particularly mm-hmm. here in Asia, where we're quite far behind. Right. And so there's not much to say when if you imagine that uh, 8 billion people, right, in the internet yeah. uh, can walk by somebody's front door, essentially, like on the street if you're, you know, in a city right. and it's wide open. What, what do you expect to happen? Right, right. right. You know, just so, walk in, right. get a chocolate chip cookie. And that's right. That's right. <laughs> sit down right. and watch TV. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. If I, if I was, you know, walking down the street and I saw somebody's house door wide open, I'm definitely probably going to peek my head in. At least <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah kind of like, around, oh, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, and all of that is uh, not to anybody's. Uh, interest in yeah, else, right? so, yeah. so so in terms of uh, the first thing is that we have to increase security right, right. Um, and like I said usually there's nothing in place so um, uh, the first thing that we'll install is called endpoint detection response okay. software sure. okay and uh, you can consider that like next generation antivirus right so uh, we're uh, most closely partnered with uh, one of the leading companies called Sentinel one okay yeah and uh, big names uh, also that we're uh, we work with will be like uh, cyber reason uh, CrowdStrike you know so anyway so there's a lot of these big companies that have this uh, uh, high grade next generation antivirus uh, sure. platform and which is something just broadly for the audience if you don't have that installed that's the to me, that's a baseline, bare minimum. Basic, 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 right, right. basic. It's, it's just like Microsoft Essentials for consumers. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 It is like the, the the most basic thing that you, that everybody needs to have on their computers. Right. Is endpoint is EDR. Okay. okay. And um, so usually they don't have that, and so that's the first thing that we'll install right. just to get a baseline of of uh, security uh, sure. in place, right? And uh, uh, now, as we start the process of emergency uh, digital response. Uh, I like to use the analogy again physically to help explain. Um, if you came home to your apartment or, or house and you saw that your uh, house had been broken into mm-hmm. and the TV was stolen, right. what's the first thing you would do? Well, I know for me, the first thing I'm going to do is look around for a bat-like instrument. Okay, I know, <laughs> yeah, we're, I know yeah. we're both self-defense guys, right, 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 right. but still, we're not going to go in. So I'm going to grab um, a bat-like instrument right, yeah, and yeah. walk 
like like a ninja through the house, right, 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 and look to make sure the bad guys aren't still there and pop out of a closet, right, right and then suddenly right. you know jack me up, right. So yeah. that's the first thing that I would do. Um, so in digital emergency response, we call this active threat hunting, right, okay. and it's kind of like we come in like a, a SWAT team and then clear the house and check check behind all sure. the, the couches and the, the closets and make sure there's no bad guy in there that can jump out. Yep. We got to clear those guys out first. And if we see right. them, then we go head to head and we kick them out of the out of the system. Sure, right? sure. So that's step one, make sure it's safe. Right. Back to the physical analogy, after you've made sure your house is secure, what's the second thing you'll most likely do? I'm going to look around and see what else this, this person stole, yeah. right? I'm what's not going to just, right? I'm not just gonna sit on my couch and just be like, oh, I guess it's over. They yeah. took the TV. That's it, right? <laughs> right, right. But funny enough, yeah. a lot of people react like that to cyber attack. Right. The cyber attack occurs and they don't see anything physically happening, right? Mm. But we got to remember this is generally invisible unless you directly have eyes on what they're doing, right? Yeah. And uh, people are like, oh, the attack's over. I don't need to look at anything else. How, how do you know? Right? Right. You, you only right. notice the one thing that they stole, right? Sure. And so... So the second thing you'll do is do an inventory and search through your house right. and see what other data was stolen or exfiltrated out of your sure, system. Right. Uh, that's digital forensics, right? We go and like parse through and, and we use a lot of advanced tools at Black Panda. I spend almost a quarter million uh, dollars a year on the most advanced forensics tools right. that uh, enhance all of this as well, right? One of the, one of the things that I, I commonly uh, just want a quick aside. Um, uh, because there's no accredit, uh, true accreditation process for all this, a lot of times uh, companies or even internal IT teams will confuse that they can do cybersecurity instant response. Just because hmm. I take a, this glass of water here and throw it onto a fire doesn't make me a firefighter. Right? <laughs> you know I mean? Really? I'm not, I'm not <laughs> sure about that. <laughs> no. But the, the digital equivalent is occurring. Right, people, right. people do that. Yeah, right? sure. They're like, yeah. I'm an IT guy and like I'm doing this response. Well, you don't have any tools, right? Like, right. You yeah. know, um, you know, we use uh, we're partnered with Binalines, which is a very advanced AI platform out mm. of uh, out of Estonia. Uh, for forensics triage collection, uh, Velociraptor, which is all, anyway, there's a, there's a lot of different specialized tools sure. that I need uh, a lot of a training and accreditation on. Right. Just like you imagine, professional firefighters with right. their whole fire truck and yeah, all the hose and all the, exactly. all the all the tech all the equipment. Uh, we also spend nearly uh, ten thousand U.S. dollars every two years for a SANS Institute course to uh, to train our instant responders in the mm. newest attacks techniques, keeping keeping them on their skills as well. So there's sure. a lot of investment that goes into the skill set. Um, and, and why incident response is so expensive, right? Right. So the uh, so after this digital forensics process occurs with all of our tools and training, et cetera, uh, the third thing you would do back at the physical analogy is, hey, how this guy get in my house, right? Right. right. right? Because yeah. if you don't know how they got in, yeah. they can come back, yeah. right? We're getting recurring revenue, right? Right. right. So, um, and which happens. That's also a sad thing that we see when victims uh, brush off like, oh, we don't need to figure out. It, it's over, right? I changed my password. Yeah, or I changed, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, change my password <laughs> or just assume that they came yeah. in that way. Right, you right, don't right. know, right? right. Yeah. Where's the secret terminal and chimney that they came in because we need to figure out and block that off or fix right. that problem so they can't come back. Yes. Those are the three things that happen when a firefighter shows up or a policeman shows up, okay, when, uh, when a crime occurs. That's the same thing that happens in digital space. And that's right. back to my point. That everything in the physical world is the same in the digital world that needs to occur, right? right. Yeah, right. Mm. That's wild. So they they uh, end up securing, let's say I don't know, let's say a hundred servers. Mm. What happens after that? You mm. so you determine you like okay, we're going to open up. We got to do all the digital forensics and all yep. those different things, and then they said. Hey Gene, knock knock. I'm yeah. asking for right. you know five million, ten million, right. whatever the number is. Yeah. What happens from there? Right. Thanks. So back to the uh, specific ransomware type of attack. Yeah. Since we have this ongoing problem, right, of right. Uh, excuse me, of the extortion uh, sure. uh, happening, 
our negotiate. We have full time ransomware negotiators, right? And, and I myself was the first ransomware negotiator, the founder at Black Panda, and we built our our style over uh, iteration, many iterations of, of dealing with uh, the extortionists and criminals, um, as well as our kidnap and ransom background. So the first thing is that we generally try to delay to buy time for sure. the security to get into place, right? right? So, um, so we're doing things like, uh, uh, like off, at the beginning, we can't get away with this now, so I'll do, give a throwaway uh, uh, t- uh, uh, technique. Sure. But we used to say things uh, like, they'd be like, hey, uh, we want this uh, amount in Bitcoin. And we advise the client, be like, just ask them, just tell them you don't know what Bitcoin is. These days a little harder okay. right, to get away with yeah, This one's a little but you can, you can literally feel that like criminal being like, <sighs> Bitcoin is this, you know, you're like, oh, you're so dumb, right? I've like, never heard of this Yeah, before. like one of the, one of the, one of the, uh, the attributes uh, coming from the IT industry is we tend to be a little bit snobby to people who yeah. don't know IT. Yeah, right? yeah. So it's like, you can imagine like, like trying to explain the whole thing and this is how like oh well how do i get onto an exchange and you know my bank account can't get onto the (laughs) there's a lot of different uh, how do you i don't even know how to transmit in bitcoin teach me how to you know blah blah and just acting a little bit dumb to be honest to drag this all out you don't have to be so responsive you know i mean you want to buy time right 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 and uh and allow them you know, swallow a bit of pride and allow them to think you're quite dumb. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, and, and uh, to go through all that. So you're trying to buy time. One of the other uh, uh, techniques, uh, which is which is a, a critical step anyway, but also helps you buy time, is called a proof of life exercise. Uh, so okay. in kidnap and ransom, proof of which life. Which is the same in like real life, right? Correct, yeah, correct. Yeah, okay. in, in, uh, in physical uh, uh, kidnap uh, or extortion scenarios, proof of life is like, for example, showing proof that the hostage is alive with the proper time date right so like mm. you know for example in the movie uh proof of life with uh, uh russell crowe and meg ryan they, they have a proof of life where the victim holds up a newspaper showing that day's front page right mm. and he's alive and and you know because without proof of life you need to know that the product you're buying is good yes. right how do right. i know what i'm buying right through this extortion right. is still valid right right so how we do that in the uh, the digital uh, uh ransom ransomware uh scenario is that we'll create a, a secure cloud instance and then put a bit of the data that was encrypted in there, mm. right? And this is handled by us professionally, so it's done safe, secure, et cetera. And then ask the uh, the attackers to prove that they can unencrypt it and that we get all the data back. They can right? unencrypt it. Right, okay. right. Show us that you can actually fix the problem you just created, right? Right. Because sometimes, I just talked about the most professional, one of the most professional and, and feared uh, uh, ransomware gangs, which is Lockbit. Um, they have like QAQC engineers right? and they're like proper like institutional right. institution, right? But there's a lot of like, you know, uh, variants, like kind of like uh, uh, lower level variants of ransomware in the market that aren't QAQC and they may not be able to actually unencrypt everything, right? Wow. It's actually kind of messed up. They actually messed it up, right? Oh Broke it, can't fix it, right? Right, it's like I accidentally shot the hostage. Yeah, yeah, okay. right. Right. yeah exactly. Right. Shot up it's, it's like, oops. You know, and just like in sure. a kidnapping ransom scenario, and, and sorry to be you know, a bit on the nose and, and uh, a bit brutal with this example, but yeah, they accidentally uh, harmed the hostage, right? Like right. say they like accidentally, like you said, shot off their foot or something like that. Yeah. Um, well, I want a discount. You're not giving me back the full all the goods, right? right? You're right. not giving me back how, you know, what you're, what you're promising, right? right? right. So that's immediately grounds for you to negotiate on the price, sure. right? And uh, same thing with uh, uh, ransomware. If they, they uh, try to unencrypt uh, uh, the, uh, the encrypted files mm-hmm. and then they can only unencrypt a 
a portion of it, well, right. immediately that gives you ground to attack mm. to start negotiating the price down. Right. right? So like a hundred servers, but we could only unlock like thirty. Yeah. So it's like well, all right. Well, it's like seventy percent off. Yeah. So, right, something. Something. Right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Something, like, right? yeah, yeah. something yeah. like that. Right. Right. And um, and it's important to negotiate because. Just like a bit in just in uh, normal business, right? When uh, uh, when somebody takes the price right off the bat, you kind of know you left a lot of money on the table, right? Yes, There's no negotiation. Right. Or like right. great price, you're yeah, like, oops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, so so, um, uh, so same way is that uh, for the attackers uh, to feel satisfied, essentially that right. we arrived at the right price and hopefully yes. go away after this, after you've secured, you know, yeah. kind of leave you alone. Um, is that we need to go through a process, right, mm. of negotiation, and there's a little bit of attrition. So it's there's an art here of like how long do you take that, you right. know, how how deep do you go? Because especially um, these days, uh, and this evolves over time based off of uh, how how effective uh, uh, the ransomware attackers are being in their business. But if you take too much time. Well, now the sales cycle is too slow for them, and yes. they're just going to move on to the next one who's going to pay them faster, right? right. You know, et cetera, right? Because right. they're looking again, looking for fast, fast sales cycles, right? Yes. Um, and uh, so, as you go through this uh, this process, uh, it's, it's imp- that that part is the experience of the ransomware mm. uh, negotiators of a, a professional incident response firm um, that's that's doing this day in day out. Right? Sure. Um, sure. And to be clear, at any any time, like right now, uh, Black Pen is handling probably about fifteen to twenty uh, incident response cases. Right. Right. right this is happening right. all the time. Right. Yes. Right. And. And um, so the uh, uh, um, so after you get through this uh, this process of uh, uh, proof, uh, proof of life, life right? It's, like, it's basically like you went into the bank, took ten hostages, right? And then you say release two of them, or release the women and children, or something right. like that. And then right. it's like okay. And then they'll say, okay, all the people inside are okay. Right. And then right. you're like, okay, like, fine. Okay, okay, got it. Right. And then you arrive at the right price. Yeah, right? yeah. And, and then also the other thing, of course, is to check, do they really have you checkmated? Right, like, did you really not have any backups? <laughs> right? Oh, right, 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 you know, right, like that. Like, can you really yeah. not operate, right? Or is right. there really no other option? Which, to... I mean, in this day and age, it's pretty surprising people are not backed up, right? Be surprised. And right, and then also just in terms of like the quality of the backup, you know, right. um, sometimes there's there's data that uh, was too sensitive for whatever reason that sure. they don't want to, you know, all these sort of things. So. Um, so, you know, after checking whether there's no backups, but also if you're going to just restore the backup, that needs to be done carefully as well, because we need to secure you before you just back up. Because again, sure. I was saying, you don't know which secret tunnel and chimney they came in on. Yeah. After you back yourself up, they're just going to go right back in and, <laughs> yeah, and get, right? charge you so, again. Yeah, and actually get, and get annoyed because yeah. now you're showing lack of good faith in the yes. negotiation. Right. And they're, pro- they're probably going to jack the price up on you. Sure. Or um, maybe even they got a, a lead on where your backups are and now and go right. encrypt your backups. And now right. you're really hosed. Right. 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 You know, right so, right. Um, so or I they that, just like take the thing and like, all right, I'm going to dump it on the deep web. Yeah, exactly. Or, or sell it to your exactly. competitor yeah. or whatever. Right. 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 Exactly. And you've annoyed me. Right. Yeah. And I'm just going to move on to the next guy as a yeah. paying customer. Customer, right, 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 right. So, um, so okay. So, say everything has gone well, you know, at this point, and you really don't have any other options, which is usually usually the case with a proper uh, ransomware attack. Right. Um, then uh, payment has to occur. Now, early days when this all is happening, there's a bit of wild west out here in Asia, and we would help and set up with crypto exchanges and do this. Oh, you would. Oh, we used okay. To, yeah, right, right, the very right. very early days, mm. and, and we discovered actually this is very high risk uh, due to now much more regulation. 
AML, KYC around crypto, et cetera. Right. So there are actually specialist firms in the US. We don't do this, we outsource it now. There are specialist firms in the US that specifically only handle ransomware payments and have all sorts of licenses with like the Better uh, Better Business Bureau or Money Money Bureau. I, I forgot, there's so many, all this regulation sure, around it. Sure. But essentially all that headache then we take to uh, to them to help us transact the crypto the crypto payment. So it's a third party right. that's facilitating payment of the ransom. Correct, right, correct. Right. Yeah, there's a few there's a few firms that literally only do this in the U.S. because there's right. so much there's so much of this ongoing, uh, in particular with awareness in the U.S. and servicing the, the markets. So and then uh, and then usually yeah and almost always uh, after the uh, the encryption occurs, especially if the ransomware attack group is uh, professional, right, and, and uh, it needs to keep up its uh, uh, reputation as well, right, because usually you can figure out who it is. Um, uh, if they don't, if they don't actually uh, give you your data back, that's that's bad branding for them, right? Right. right, right. About, Especially like, if you paid, right? Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, yeah. So if you like they, their reputation, it's like say Lockbit's out there, and it's like, hey, Lockbit. Every time you pay them, uh, they can't actually unencrypt everything. So you yeah. just know that when Lockbit attacks you, don't pay, right? right? So right. it's bad for their business, yeah. right? Because right. they're looking for, <laughs> for fast sales cycles, right? right. Thing, right. You know. So <laughs> it's really funny, right? So it's, right. it's really like I'm trying to communicate to the audience. And about this, uh, typically to the market, is to think of them as a business, right? Because that's what they are, right? Yes. You know, they don't have any personal agenda against you. They're just trying to make money, right? Yes. They decided right, to do right. it in a legal and, uh, frankly, a, a moral way. But, right. but they're a businessman at the end of the day, right? Yeah. So, um, uh, uh, so yeah. And then at that point, hopefully, you get your data back, and then hopefully, you're taking your cybersecurity very seriously <laughs> at this point, right? <laughs> so, because again, when you think about it, like, you know. Again, if you put your hat on, your criminal hat on, and I'm trying to put food on the table for myself and my family, are you trying to take on the most heavily fortified cybersecurity targets to challenge yourself? No. no. <laughs> You're looking for, like I said, walking down the street and looking for the house, the rich houses that just have their front door flung wide open, yeah, with, you know, right, and that you can right. just walk in and steal all the, you know, the the the, uh, the, the silverware and the TVs and all that stuff, right? Yeah, You're yeah, trying to make this. You're not trying to challenge yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You know, so so yeah. really, when we're responding, um, usually we see a very low level of cybersecurity mm. in place, right. and uh, um, and honest and yeah, uh, that's that's uh, probably my biggest message is that um, if you're not if you're not investing in your cybersecurity, I mean, it's it's really not a matter of if, but just when, right? Uh, right. There's eight billion people that can see you, basically, on the internet, right? <laughs> right. in your living room or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Like, so, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's like crazy. Mm -hmm. So now, kind of just switching gears and talking a little bit more about your personal journey, because you know, you know, we were talking beforehand about you know everything from like West Point and all the way on through. I mean, maybe tell the audience about that whole journey and you know. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, so I'm, uh, I, I entered West Point, uh, 97, right. And so, uh, computer science undergrad, um, you know, took a, I guess I call it like, I always call it like I took a left-handed turn, you know, at, at, right. at, at school <laughs> for university and didn't go the normal path, especially, right, right. especially as, uh, uh Chinese Americans, right. And sort of going, you know, we're yeah. make our parents proud, and, you know, <laughs> go to Berkeley or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, uh, decided to try to do something different, right. I wanted to see what else, uh, life had to offer. I, I felt like, um, you know, if I did what everybody else was doing, I could see what they were getting. And I just was curious enough to try something different, right, just to right. see what else I could get out of life in right. that direction. And um, so I uh, went to West Point and went for the uh, the challenge, the experience, and, and got, got it all in spades. I mean, West right. Point 
kick kick me kick my ass okay to be a bridge art yeah to really put it uh, bluntly right and really really put me in my place uh, but it's a place that challenges you um, um the most holistically i think that you could possibly imagine right mm -hmm. it, it is i you know and i really say this uh without uh, uh without uh, uh hopefully any arrogance but uh, i really do believe that it is it is the most hardcore educational institute in the world Right. Wow. What, right. could, what could be more hardcore? I mean, yeah. like in terms of it's six days a week, right? Yeah, right. Uh, there's no summers. It's all military training, yes. right? Um, there's intense physical regimen, of course, as well. Sure. Um, you take so many courses at West Point that uh, the people that uh, fail out because, you know, West Point is hard to get in, okay? Right. Um, but uh, uh, it's harder to get out. It's right? even tougher to kind to of... To graduate, right? right? And that's, really? Yeah, that's okay. the point, you know. So I, I started, my class started out with... Uh, roughly about 1,200. Okay, okay, we graduated 900. Okay. Wow. So when you think about like, West Point is uh, the United States Military Academy, right? So everybody who attends uh, or receives an appointment uh, requires a, uh, a, a U.S. congressional nomination, uh, number one, because it's a full ride. Right? So, the, so the politicians in D.C. that are representing your specific district or... Mm, yeah, your, congress, your congressman, basically. Right, right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, there's a whole separate application process right. to get a congressional nomination. Then after you get that, then you can apply to West Point, right? Right. And so it's quite a big deal uh, uh, when you get in. Now, right. not for me, where I grew up in Cupertino, California, like yeah. so liberal, people haven't even heard oh, of West yeah, Point. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Jobs was like down the road. Or yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we literally received free Apple computers like at our public really? high schools and stuff like that. Oh, public schools right. and stuff like oh yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, so... Um, uh, so usually in uh, uh, a lot of the uh, the towns and where p people grow up, when they receive an appointment at West Point, it was not uncommon for me to hear that their town had a parade for them, right, celebrating really? that, wow. you know, somebody from their town had received an appointment to the United States Military Academy. Wow. And um, so it's a really big deal. So when you think about the 300 people out of 1,200, mm, right? Right. I mean, that's that's 25%, right? So, right. you know, 25% of the class with a parade behind them. Yeah failed out or quit right or resigned because right. they couldn't take it anymore right yes. that's that's a lot of shame you know so to speak mm. with your tail behind, between your legs it just kind of uh, highlight like how intense west point is right, right. um right. and uh anyway so uh so graduated right and uh, uh <laughs> i feel like i barely barely made it out of that place but um <laughs> but, uh but uh did, did all right did i ended up doing all right for myself and i've got right. lots of stories behind that but uh 9-11 uh, uh, i'm the i'm the class of 9-11 Right. You literally graduated on the year of 9-11. That's right. I graduated wow. in 2001. And then so right. my, my class of 2001 is, uh, I believe, uh, nobody's challenging me on this publicly yet, <laughs> but uh, we're the longest contiguous combat class in the history of West Point, right? 20 straight mm. years, right? The fall of Afghanistan was in 2021. Right. It's just like really neatly fit there because it's 20 years to get your pension, right? So, <laughs> right? so, so I have classmates, right? Look, I did four combat tours. I have classmates who did like 11 or 12 combat wow, tours, right? right? I have classmates who served as platoon leaders, company commanders, battalion commanders, and then brigade commanders right. all in Afghanistan, right? Wow. You know what I mean? It's incredible, right? right? Yeah, you yeah. know, or mixed between Iraq and Afghanistan. Sure. So like the only time they took command or leadership, you know, was in combat, like right. directly taking over right. in which combat. Which is super rare. Yeah, which is super intense as well, yeah, right? right? Just think about, yeah, his experience, right? So. Right. American, the American, uh, particularly the U.S. Army and the Marine Corps, is unbelievably combat experienced, but also exhausted from from this experience, mm. right? 
I went to, uh, again, like, uh, and there's a lot of interesting aspects uh, I won't go into here, but there's a lot of, like, guilt, you know, for uh, veterans when they leave earlier because we knew that the war was still going on. And sure. not so much that maybe at that point, I think we all are, you know, intelligent, free-thinking people and are kind of understanding, like, when I left in 2009, like, something's funny about this Iraq thing that, you know, mm -hmm. of course we believed it at the time sure. right. in 2003 when Colin Powell gets up on, you know, in front of the UN and tells everybody we have definitive evidence there's WMD, right? And I was like, oh, they have wow. WMD? We, right, gotta go, right. we gotta go get that, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, we better sort this out. I mean, I was, I took 9-11 very personally, you know, mm. um, having uh, having gone to West Point and uh, trying to pretend to be a normal college student on the weekends in New right. York. I spent a lot of weekends in New York City. I yeah. love New York, you know? Sure. And uh, so I took it quite personally when 9-11 happened and, and that changed my whole mindset of going to West Point for my own self-interest, right? Mm -hmm. and, and using the army, you know, or using the government for, you know, basically this, this experience to right. being like, hey, I, I want some heads, you know, for this, yes. right? right? And that's why I ended up um, ascending into U.S. Special Forces and became a Green Beret, et cetera, et cetera, because I, I wanted to fight, right? right. And, um, you know, the, the other aspect of that was that uh, it wasn't so much that I thought that inside that I was a, I'm like, clearly, you know, I'm so I'm so awesome. I should be in the, the top of the food chain sure, Special Forces. Sure. Um, you know, being being Asian American, right, is is uh, you know, in my view, largely a, a disadvantage. You know, it's few to the and States, far right? between. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Which generally, I think, yeah. very few Asian Americans would say like, "Oh, we have an advantage being a minority." Right. Right. And uh, so there's no different at West Point. There's only like two percent Asian, right? Sure. And uh, and that's a whole a whole other lot of stuff that I could talk about that. But but um, you know, so but being in the U.S. Army. Um, wanting to wanting to fight the Green Berets in particular is a has a mission of being very culturally immersive, right? And so uh, the re the world, you know, the American Empire splits up the world right into regions, sure. and uh, there's an entire special forces group called First Group, which is focused on Asia. Mm. And so there's more. I wouldn't say a lot, okay, but uh, uh, there's more right Asian Americans who serve in that unit um, okay. to uh, uh, to be better facing towards Asian um, partners, sure, right? Sure, so. Sure. Green Berets typically uh, integrate with uh, foreign militaries, train them, and then lead them lead them into combat. Right. Mm. So the best example of this is um, after 9/11, uh, essentially 100 Green Berets parachuted uh, after the CIA into Afghanistan, okay. uh, went up and linked up with uh, the Northern Alliance warlords, right. rode in on horseback, vectoring in uh, airstrikes, right, and overthrew sure. the Taliban within six months. Right. Wow. I call that profitable. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just a few guys, yes. you know, the, 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 the profit margin and the return on that is right. extremely high. Right. So I like to make that comment now being a, being a businessman is that what the Green Berets are all about is it's an incredibly uh, cost efficient yeah. <laughs> uh, resource to deploy, right? From, right. Uh, from, a, from an impact standpoint. Right. Um, so I guess we would tie this in my personal story is that uh, in the Green Berets, I ended up, uh, uh, so sorry, from what I was saying was that because of my, um, of my background as Asian American, I thought finally I could use my disadvantage of being an Asian minority to, to, to have some use here, right? right? And so if I can get through the selection process, the tryouts are extremely intense and the training pipeline is extremely intense as you might imagine with a, right. a very high attrition rate, uh, higher than Ranger School, you know, all that, which I attended as well. Right. Um, and uh, um, if I can make it through, then that's where I should best serve. You know right. what I mean? Like, I looked at it that way. It was like, right. it wasn't like, I need to, you know, I wanted to be a Green Beret once I internalized that I wanted to to uh, to, uh, to to ascend into this group. But really, my, my mindset was like, you sort me out of where I am best useful for right. for this. Right. Because we need to take care of this this thing that happened, you know, with 9-11, mm. right? Right. And, um, 
and uh, and you know, and they sorted me and sorted me good as well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that the hazing at uh, you know, go through that training made uh, everything at West Point look like a joke. <laughs> it was intense. Well, like the attrition rates are like what? What are the attrition rates on that? You know, I never actually got the the uh, heard any definitive numbers on it, but I mean, it's it's really high as you might imagine, super right? It's super high, right? Because yeah. it's not. You know, uh, this is this is we're talking about like some of the most elite, most cunning, and hardest warriors that yes. America produces. You know okay. what I mean? And uh, you know, um, I'll get into a little bit about uh, the trading floor at Credit Suisse or any you know, investment <laughs> bank trading right. floor uh, right. alpha culture, right? Right. Uh, the, the the alpha culture of the trading floor can only be uh, surpassed by the alpha culture inside of uh, Special Forces eight sure. team room. I right. mean, you are. It's like the opposite of DEI. You know what I mean? Like literally all this diversity, <laughs> equity, and inclusion yeah. is like the opposite. It's right, like right. uniformity, no equity. You just yes. get told what to do and yeah. it's exclusion. We're elite. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> Completely opposite. Yeah, it's really funny when I think about DI. I'm like, huh, the place I came from is literally the opposite. <laughs> so, um, right. and, uh, uh, so yeah, and then inside the Green Berets, I was laterally promoted. You know, I, I did a decent job in my first, first couple of combat tours. I was laterally promoted into a very special counter-terrorist unit that covered all of Asia. Okay. Okay. And I can say this with... Uh, that was with, based you know, in... Okinawa. Okinawa. Yeah. Okay. So this is no longer... Uh, uh, this is no longer an action. At the time, it was a classified unit. It's uh, sure. no longer in existence. It was called the Commanders in Extremist Force. Okay. It's basically like JV Delta Force. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, right, um, right. so in, and the other unit at Delta Force level is called SEAL Team 6. Okay. And that's the unit that became really famous for right. um, uh, taking out Osama bin Laden. Sure. Uh, and then made a million movies about themselves, you know, right, about right, seals right, stuff right. like That's, that. Yeah. So, so those guys are the most famous. A right? lot of Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. a lot, a lot of Hollywood yeah, yeah. with the seals. So the, the Green Berets, uh, the, the heritage of the Green Berets, is that uh, during World War II, uh, the Special Forces of the United States was called uh, uh, OSS, the Office of OSS. Strategic Studies. And after World War II, it disbanded. It split into two organizations. One was the CIA, and the other was the Green Berets. Okay. okay? So it kind of shows the heritage oh, of clandestine. Right. Uh, nature of Green Berets. Uh, sure. I like to, when people are like, oh, what's the difference between Green Berets, Rangers, SEALs, you know, et cetera? I always like to say, we're the guys who are, we're the smart ones. <laughs> like, right. like, you know what I mean? We're the, yeah. we're the guys who use our, our minds. Right. <laughs> and I like to say that a lot is that, like, you know, the, the, uh, the, the rifle was not my was not a was not a weapon. That's just right. a tool to me. Sure. I'm the weapon, right, right? right? You know, my mind is the weapon, right? right? Even my mouth is a tool to move other people and right. influence other people to do what I need to do, right? So, and now even through cyber, I consider as an extension what computers are my tools, mm -hmm. right? But I'm still the weapon, right? right. Now, um, so anyway, so I, I laterally uh, crossed uh, was promoted uh, to be one of the uh, team leaders in this uh, commanders and extremists unit, which his specialty was hostage rescue. So we were on a uh, six-hour uh, call string, um, and we were basically America's 911 in the Asia region, right? So any crisis that occurred within six hours, the, the proverbial pager would go off, and 45 minutes we needed to be uh, at the base, and then pallets loaded and launched at a Katina Air Force Base anywhere in, in Asia. Wow. And so all of that process of how to run an organization like that, to be on a, a short string like that, and yeah. have that consistency, and it's a no-fail mission, right? And right. You know, um, and what that looked like, that influenced tremendously how we operate at Black Panda mm -hmm. in terms of how we conduct emergency response. That's where I cross over, even though I'm I'm not a a, techni uh, a forensicator or a, or a cybersecurity uh, technical expert. Sure, I understand 
the logistics behind it, right? Yep. And how the process, how the model should work, right? right. And I saw how the best did it. You know, mm. uh, I can say with no reservations that uh, the commanders in extremist force at Okinawa was the best resource trained and uh, combat experienced uh, elite uh, crisis response unit in all of Asia, right? right. You know, there's right. no unit, there's no country in Asia could even can compare, right? And so, um, so I bring all of those lessons learned across. Uh, you know, so after a couple more combat tours in, uh, in Iraq and the Philippines, uh, I, uh, I got out in 2009. And um, uh, Iraq and Phil's. Yeah, so, Iraq so and Philippines are my two. Japan and then the mm -hmm. Phil's, right? Yeah, okay, which, also, which is a whole other story about like spending like almost a year in a foreign country and then coming back to another foreign country that you don't even know because right. I was barely there, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so out of the 48 months that I was stationed in Okinawa, I was in combat for 40 months. Wow. Right? I was one of the most deployed. I think I was one of the most deployed captains uh, in my entire year group, right? Wow. And uh, yeah, so I saw I saw a lot. And, but, and another thing too that sometimes catches people by surprise, there's like this there's this uh, lost fact that when you're in combat, it's seven days a week, right? Right, right, right. 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 I know it's, it's kind of funny to say, but yeah. some people are like, oh yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, you can't just take Saturday off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like what happens? The you know, there's no like agreement between you and the bad guys. Yeah, right? yeah. Let's let's just take the kids off. <laughs> So, um, so it's pretty intense, uh, and uh, you know, but at the same time, like it, it brings around a lot of the work ethic that I bring to Black Panda, right? As a founder, sure. I mean, one, you just can't shut it off anyway. But yeah, it's, right. it's been eight, it's been eight years going, and I can honestly say I don't think I've taken a single day off where I don't right. think about Black Panda sure, some way sure. or do something, right? Right. Um, so anyway, uh, so after I got out of the uh, the military, uh, I went to Johns Hopkins uh, School of Advanced International Studies, uh, and so I was there for about a year, and I came in, to... In Maryland? In, yeah, so it's in D.C. Okay. Um, I actually went to a program where the, uh, the Nanjing campus, and that's where, oh. that's where uh, we might have met at Shanghai BJJ. Yeah, <laughs> Shanghai oh, you were at... Hopkins then. Yeah, yeah, I see, yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah, I had yeah. no idea. Right, right, right. So, yeah. so that's when I so I would travel on the weekends to Shanghai to come train at uh, Shanghai BJJ at the time. Right. So this is okay. too strange because I studied abroad at Nanda. Oh really? Yeah. So you know, the, oh, so you know HNC, yeah, and the, the location. Yeah, I know oh, exactly where I used yeah. to live in Diba uh, Susha. Like uh, the the oh the, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, anyways okay yeah, we're so we're not about, talking about we're, 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 we're talking about, about you okay okay, okay, okay. We'll, 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 we'll continue that afterwards okay, okay so right. so uh, uh, there was a career track from uh, uh, from Hopkins uh, down to Hong Kong right and uh, you know I, I had come to Hong Kong a lot uh, yeah. even when I was in Okinawa I mean Okinawa is an awesome place uh, right. to live okay it's it's, it's one of the uh, the safest, or there's the kindest people. I loved living yeah. in Okinawa right. again for the eight months I was there, you know, out of the, out of the four years. But uh, um, it's not really good for uh, like a young single guy, right? It's not. <laughs> there's nothing going on, right? the, the, you know, and like and and, you and there's to, tons of uh, other military. Yes, yeah, you yeah. know, you don't really want to hang out with like, other soldiers. <laughs> right? so, like, so um, right. fortunately for me, uh, at the time, uh, Hong Kong Airlines opened up a direct flight because uh, okay. Japan started opening up Okinawa for tourism sure. right around that time. And uh, there's a direct flight to Hong Kong. And right. uh, some, uh, uh, some of my best friends from, uh, uh, in fact, my best friend from, uh, uh, from uh, Cupertino um, came to Hong Kong to uh, invest in banking, you know, et cetera. Right. So I was traveling here to come hang out. Oh, and then, right, you know, so right. Hong Kong to me is very much like, the big city to me that you know in my adulthood right, yes, right. For all of asia it's my life is always kind of centered around hong kong as the major major right. city right so I, I came here a lot so during the uh, hnc um career track team i really just came down to for like kind of a free trip to uh to just hang out in hong kong <laughs> <laughs> and uh going around and we're like 
meeting like uh, you know investment banks like Nike and you know just going around just meeting companies right. and uh, um, you know and then uh, I let one of my uh, good friends uh, at the time uh, Henry Jung uh, know that I was in Hong Kong and I was like oh it's really funny like I'm visiting investment banks and he's like right. oh he's like you are he's like and I was kind of commenting I was texting him or something and I'm like oh, I'm a Credit Suisse and he's like oh he's like stop leave the uh, the the don't talk to the HR person like go to the 54th floor and go see Matt Petko right now and I was like really? what I was like what like literally like get up in the middle of the interview right it's like a, it's a group of like 20 students right right, and, right. you know and we're so like blown away by Credit Suisse right it's like this huge boardroom this is yeah, still in Exchange yeah. Square and everything like that right. and, and, uh, I was, and it was really awkward I just kind of like stood up and like walked up I was like where are you going <laughs> <laughs> so I go to the 54th floor and uh, Matt is waiting for me there and uh, we start meeting and we do the bona fides, uh, you know, and like, oh, because he was the commander and extremist force uh, team leader as well, right? Wow. 20 years before. Right. And that's why Henry had connected us. You got to meet this guy, right? right. And uh, we met for about, uh, uh, I would say like five, six, five, six minutes. And the big, the big one is that um, uh, out of... Uh, out of all the special forces captains in the U.S. Army, I was one of nine to be selected for early promotion to major, which wow, is a very big deal, huge, right? It's a huge, huge deal. It was a huge, it was a huge validation for me because I, I, I like was like the last, I was the lowest ranked, like uh, I had the lowest military grade at West Point after like plebe mm. year. Like I failed like all the physical <laughs> fitness tests. Like I had my ass kicked at West Point, and people thought I was a clown there, you know. And so like. Uh, it was a huge validation of like you know having yeah. proven myself in the real the real thing sure, rather than just sure. schoolhouse right, right. and uh, and then Matt was also one of the guys that got promoted below the, uh, wow. called below the zone right? right and he was also promoted below the zone and uh, so immediately when he heard that he was just like what are you doing yeah. you know you have one more year at school don't do that come work here at Credit Suisse right I, away I, have, I right I have a desk open for you right now that's open that just opened up on the swaps desk can you oh. right can you come down here basically like yeah. you know basically a couple weeks right yeah. and uh i i when i was sitting there i was just like whoa i just got a job offer and i was like and i was like i wanted to ask him i was like what's an investment bank yeah i i'm a basically like out of the army and then yeah. like studying international economics right yeah. at, at, right. Uh, at johns hopkins yeah. and i thought i was gonna go work for like the cia right yeah, yeah, you know yeah. i like i don't you know, I don't know any other world you know, right, at that right. point. And it really is, uh, I give Matt a lot, you know, Matt is, a, you know, Matt is one of my greatest friends and, and mentors today, you know, and, and uh, I really give him, uh, you know, he really is, was a key person in my life because I don't think somebody, unless they had the same background as me, yeah. could have convinced me or shown me there's another life outside of what I was doing at the time, right? Because right? I, I mean, being a Green Beret is a lot of investment of your own training and yes. time, et cetera, and it's not like there's a lot of people that make it on the other end. So to leave that community and come to such a different world, like something like finance, right, is very rare, right? right, and, right. and, you know, you could, be, you could be a super, you could be, you could be Jamie Dimon sitting in front of me yeah. and I would have been like, who are you? Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, exactly. you're, you know, you're nothing to me unless you're yeah. a special operator, right? right like, right. I don't respect you, you know? Yeah. And, uh, sorry, I shouldn't say it like that. I don't respect you. But, you know, it's it, like you telling me that I should go that career path doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. But for Matt, having walked the same walk that I, I, I walked, right. right? Took the long walk, basically. Right. Uh, and then was showing me the door. He's like, hey, there's another world over here that you should probably, you know, you should sure. take a look. That that gave me the courage to to jump out and then enter enter into finance. So, right. so you know, because I really didn't know what investment bank was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and, and honestly, even at that time, like looking up on Wikipedia, I was still like struggling. Mm -hmm.